You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. Chapter 9, Israel in the past. What happened in the past? What happened in the past? That's that's Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 10, what's going on spiritually right now with Israel? I'm sure you're not the only people maybe to go to the Holy Lands or to really come to a mature understanding that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Why does Israel not receive Jesus as the Jewish Messiah? The reason is the same reason that North Americans don't receive Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. It has to do with conditions of the heart. But related to that, Jesus' Jewish heart and his Jewish mind and Paul's Jewish heart and Paul's Jewish mind is actually coming out here As he mentioned these words, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. No apologies ever for ever telling another human being that it's actually God's will that they be saved. That language is not religious. It is the language of freedom. It is the road of freedom. It is the avenue of freedom. You want to be free deep in your soul and have supernatural power, you must be saved. With that saving power comes the seal of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, and so many other things we got a big book to talk about related to them. You must be saved. John chapter 3 Jesus talking to another religious leader named Nicodemus. Wonderful passage. Nicodemus is trying with his Judaism to figure out Jesus. You don't look like us. You know, we're the students of Scripture. Jesus says, I'm the creator of Scripture. (laughs) You don't look like us. You don't act like the prophets. I am the fulfillment of all the prophets. They spoke about me long ago. They wanted to see me long ago. I am actually that fulfillment in this day. Blessed are you that you get to see me, Jesus would say. The Nicodemus actually way too learned to comprehend it. So Jesus says, okay, okay, then I'll give it to you this way. I'll put the cookies on the lower shelf. Now let me tell you, sometimes when Jesus puts the cookies on the lower shelf, I need him to go lower. (laughs) He says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus would still say, well, what are you talking about? Am I actually, now catch this, am I supposed to go in my mommy's tummy again? (laughs) The Bible doesn't tell me whether Jesus smiled, but I got to think he did. No, 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 no. You must be born again by the Spirit. And that's what we're talking about here that we must be born again. And so it is in the Jewish heart, it is in the Jewish mind that we would actually be born again. That, that nature of being born again belonged to them, but it's come to us who are not ethnically uh, Jewish, but belong instead to a family spiritually called Gentiles. And we are actually, the Bible says, grafted into the vine. And so we're here in, on an ag property and we have all kinds of ag Work that goes on, you can actually take things and graft them together, and shoots can come out and be put into another uh, ag product, and they can be grown. We are actually taken of a non-Jewish vine and grafted in to the Jewish vine. We must be saved. 
To be saved is to experience a changed life. Whatever it looks like for you. I know young children who, in my mind, they have never sinned. They're so cute, and they're so wonderful, and I want to take them all home, and they give their lives to Jesus, and they actually talk about deep inside where no mom or dad can ever look or imagine. They talk about a changed life at very young ages. And then there's the other side of the spectrum, stories more cousin to mine and many of yours, where you were a bit into adulthood or way into adulthood. And you know your sins. And there's others that know your sins. There's others that would like to remind you of your sins. You pay them no mind because you're born again. Those sins have no grip on you. They are not your identity. They are not your address spiritually. You have a divine residency that lives out in this lifetime that no man can ever overcome. That is what it means to be born again. Some people want to know if you can lose your salvation. Let's, let's take a quiz of my church and see if I've been a good gospel and Bible teacher here through many years. Church, can you lose your salvation? No. no. You cannot lose your salvation. Paul will talk about the zeal and knowledge, for I bear them witness in verse 2 that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. The word for zeal is words that we use related to zealot, zealous in the original. And the word for knowledge is some have actually studied the word with some depth, and they've heard this word called epigonosco, which is related to a truth by which you have the experiential knowledge of. So, it's, so you're, you're a participator of that knowledge. It's not for somebody else. You didn't hear about it somewhere else. It's actually something that belongs to you. It's personal. It's intimate. You know it. You know and you know and you know it. And so if you drive your car down the street, you have epigonosco. You know what it's like to have your hands on the wheel of a car. You know the rules of the road. Some of you know the rules of the road and maybe don't obey the rules of the road. That's never your pastor, of course. But you have an experiential knowledge of driving. That's epigonosco. Paul says he wishes that his brothers and sisters that are Israelites that they would be saved and be born again. He bears them witness. They have this zeal for God, but they don't have the knowledge. In other words, they can actually, and we can do this, church. That's why I'm camping on it. They have Bible study. They have these great big scrolls that you could open up in days and where there was no printing press, and they could read, and they could write, and they could be students of the Word, and it was not in their hearts. They did not have a true personal experiential knowledge. It was in something academic or maybe, maybe more to my root system with Catholicism, something more ritualistic where, where, where a priest comes and then administers things and all of that. You know, my dad's ashes, and I'm not making fun of it, and I almost said something out loud, but I showed restraint. You know, they're blessing the ashes, my brother. That's not when you bless somebody. <laughs> That's all done away with. You want to be blessed in this lifetime now as a follower of Jesus Christ. You want to have these things true in your life. And so we, we seek a zeal with knowledge by being born again. But Paul's heart for them is just that, that they would be saved. Verse 3, for being ignorant of, their, of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they do not submit to God's righteousness 
Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That phrase, they're seeking their own righteousness. This is tough for us. All my American friends, this is tough for us. You know, it's, it's embedded in our culture. It, it's embedded in our politics. That we win and we won the day and we don't need anybody else. We have 1776 as something that started us, a revolution, and it's a miracle. And then we have other wars that are just exactly the same. And we, we approach life as Americans, and we actually, as a culture, believe we have our own righteousness. We, we had iPhones. We put men on the moon. We have Costco and cheap glasses. And we, we, have, we have everything out there that you could imagine. And the world follows us in so many ways. And trust me when I tell you that embedded in how you think as an American is that temptation towards self-righteousness. The Israelites were exactly the same. We have the temple. Don't you want to see it, Pastor? We have a temple, and it's burning over here. And we have priests in really nice garb. In fact, we rebuilt Herod. Herod rebuilt the, the temple. Did Herod tell you to rebuild? Did Jesus tell you to rebuild the temple, Herod? No, you just did it yourself. Okay, fine. And we have this great courtyard, and we have these great rituals, and we, we have mourners that will mourn for your family for weeks. We have professional mourners. You pay them off, and that's fine. And we have, we have hundreds and hundreds of laws. Self-righteousness. We want to have God's righteousness. But Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes. So this next section, I want to read on with you because there's a misunderstanding as to the purpose of the law. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Now let's just stop right there for a moment and talk about the misunderstanding of the purpose of the law. I thought about how to talk about this for a while and I have to go way back to my youthful days of high school to illustrate it. Because in high school, I didn't have a car, and so we had an old car, and I rebuilt this Toyota Corolla. I'm not even going to tell you the year of that because it was so long ago, but there was no computer in the car. But I rebuilt this Toyota Corolla, and I just put it in the engine block, and I snapped the tranny together. I worked, and I worked, and I worked, and I got, I got my Panasonic stereo, and I put the Panasonic stereo with really oversized speakers all throughout the interior of that car. And, of course, this is really dating me because it's cassettes, you know. So my cassette and my playlist and all of that. And I thought that was the coolest car. This little Toyota Corolla. So it's my senior year, and we had senior pranks that our school would do. So one of them was they actually put a cone in the parking lot. I don't know. Maybe it was 40 yards or something like that. But the driver would sit in the car, and you had to be able to have two hands on the wheel. Your feet needed to be on the gas and the pedal, and you could only go straight, and you could get all of your friends and see how many of your friends could fit inside that car. And the definition of fitting inside that car was your hindquarters had to be in the car. So my best recollection is that we had 15 high schoolers in the car. And I drove past that cone. And as I was driving past the cone, the whole entire car sat down and the wheels were hitting the hubs as I'm going and it's just bouncing, right? As I'm playing music on my new Panasonic stereo and it's not Christian music. 
And so I make it there. And, I don't, and we, we had to have people help us pull kids, you know, you know, out of the car. All right. It's a fun illustration. It's a cheeky illustration. Is it fair to say that 15 people being in a tiny little Toyota Corolla, that that is not the purpose of that car? But what's fascinating is in our parking lot on the side, now we have people down in Mexico, but we have 15-person passenger vans. And we go on mission trips, and we, we pack those things up for all kinds of different things. And we'll, we'll put 15 people in a passenger van because that's the purpose of that van. It's built for it. It has uh, the steering capacity, the braking capacity. You could sit in it. We have luggage racks up top. That 15-person passenger van, that's the purpose of that car. My illustration of my little Toyota Corolla with 15 of my friends in there, it was very obvious that was not the purpose of that car. The purpose of the law spiritually is for you to know the law can't save you. It's good and it's right. Nothing wrong with my car. But you know that it can't fit 15 kids safely. Purpose of the law is good and right. And though it can speak truth and morality, it cannot save you. You cannot live up to it. You can't even live up to your own very basic and simple desires on the new year, some New Year's resolution. You can't live up to it because the law will work against you. And so we have to have Christ's righteousness, and we have to have the blood of Christ. The Bible here says, but the righteousness is based on faith, says. Now, this next section here is really very interesting. I'm going to explain it in just a moment. For do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into abyss, I'm reading in verse 7, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what did it say? The word is near you, and in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. So this is actually a reference to the very end of Moses' ministry in Deuteronomy chapter 30, where he's preaching a message. And what has happened to the Israelites Moses is going to say goodbye to them. They're up on a mountaintop. He's up on a mountaintop, and he's going to watch them go. But earlier, he's preaching down below a message to them. And they're actually saying this to him. Okay, Moses, you know, we got it. You know, we, we, you, all the miracles that got rid of Pharaoh, the parting of the Red Sea was pretty amazing. Walking on dry land, I mean, boy, we're going to tell all the generations about that. And then the, the water parting from the rock and, and manna and quail and all, all the miracles, we get that, we get that. But here's what the Israelites said to him. God is too hard to, on us. Following him is too difficult. There's too much sacrifice involved. There's too much sadness involved in this lifetime. It's, it's just flat out too hard. And so in this sermon that Moses is preaching, recorded for us, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he's going to say, listen, let me tell you, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven and who will descend to abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, but the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. What he's saying is don't be silly. Don't make any excuses. What are you talking about? Who will go up and who will go down? That's foolish talk. The issue is your heart. That's what Christ wants to save as he saves your soul. The issue is your heart and your mind. That's what he wants to transform and grab hold of. And so the issue is not 
who's going up and who's going down or any of these other things or is even walking with God too hard because try the other side of the street. The other side of the street doesn't come with grace. This comes with grace and this comes with forgiveness. Well, the issue is, is the word in your heart. And now verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Well, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. It's fascinating that Moses, the lawgiver, says that. It's all about your heart. And it's what he wants us all to understand. It is the tendency, here's a line I want to give you, church. It is the tendency of religious people to operate by law and not grace. It's a tendency. People to study the Bible and come to church. It's our tendency. It's that wayward nature inside us that wants to twist against grace. See, in the illustration, I told you about my family before. I told you that my father, it seems, it seems, and thank you so much for cheering for him, it seems that he might have generally given his life as a very sinful man on the very last day or two of his earthly existence. But let me ask you, is that fair? If you know Christ, you say yes, but when you think about it logically, you say no. Well, he sinned against God here. He sinned against God there. He hurt people here. He hurt people there. Shouldn't he just get what he's due? Why do all the rest of us have to walk with Christ our whole entire life and be mindful of all of that? Because grace is grace. Grace just covers all of our sins. So it's our tendency as people of, of a religion, of a faith, to operate by law and not grace. And I would tell you that's the original sin. People like to talk about what is the original sin of Adam and Eve? Is it the apple? Is it the apple? You should say no. Not the apple. Can I touch it? Can I eat it? Can I touch it? Can I eat it? The original sin was somehow Adam and Eve thinking, I know it's the law and not grace. And yet it is that. Speaking as Paul works through this text related to that Jewish heart and mind of Jesus. Judaism given to us as a gift, as a language, so much more pictorial, for example, than, than the Greek language. So here's an example of what we're talking about. Psalm 42, Hebrew, as the deer pants for the living water. That's a, that's a very Jewish way of talking about the heart and the mind and the unity. The passion of that. Or how about David again in Psalm 51, creating me a new heart. Interesting that he didn't logic that as a mathematical equation. Or he didn't have an, have an if-then with God. You know, if I do this, then you will do that. That's much more Greek or much more mathematical. Because of this and because of that, therefore, no, no. Psalm 42, as the deer is panting, so I pant for you, God. Nothing else matters. All sin is done away with. I pant for you, God. 
that I would be saved, that I would be born again, that the very love of God would come and save me and my family and direct my life. Create in me, God, a new heart. Don't actually take all of my sins and have them against me. Don't actually take all of my errors and hold them against me. I have no justification for ever saying that to you. God created me a new heart. That's very Jewish. But the word repentance, which we find kind of first and foremost in the New Testament as a Greek word from John the Baptist, when everybody comes to find Jesus at the Jordan and says, why are you guys here? You should repent. Calls them brood of vipers. And if you don't know what a brood of viper is, know that it's not speaking nice. Those are not nice things to say. So John the Baptist did not have nice things to say. Calls them brood of vipers. He says, repent. Repent is there's a battle out there there's a king, kind of ancient days, there's a king overseeing the battle, and he has his generals off to the side, and the king says to the generals, hey, there's a soldier out there, he's going the wrong way, tell him to turn around. And so then the generals go and get some other colonel or lieutenants, and they run after that soldier, and they go, hey, king says go that way. Turns around. He understands that the king has said, I'm going the wrong way, and that is our biblical word for repentance. And God comes to you and I and says, where is it your direction of your life, the trajectory of your life? If it's full of sin, it's going the wrong way, and so therefore we ask you to repent at the behest of the king to turn and go a different way, a new way. That's the difference in between these, these ideas of, of Judaism and the Hebrew language and the Greek text and how Paul is integrating them here and why say that Jesus had this true Jewish heart and this Jewish mind. Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, we have our word homosexual that is, that is the same as when we say homo logeo. Logeo is the idea of a word. Homo is the idea of same. So when we talk about same-sex attraction, we use homosexual. In terms of linguistics, we're actually using it the right way. The Bible calls that confession, homo logeo, to say the same as God, to actually have an agreement with God. Do I need to be saved? That to say yes is to say that I have an agreement with God. Do I need to repent? That is to say the same thing as God. That's the word confess. And so the scripture says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts, these things will take place. John the Baptist at the Jordan River called people to repentance. Jesus on the cross calls people to repentance. Peter at Pentecost calls people to repentance. And the most fascinating thing is that it's so public. John the Baptist was public. It wasn't private. Sure, he was in a different location, but it was not private. That's why I tell you, he's there with political, religious leaders, and civic leaders of the day, and he calls them brood of vipers. He insults them that they might repent. Jesus on the cross, so much more gracious, 
Father, have mercy on them. They don't know what they're doing. The thief on the cross, Jesus, to say, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember you? Remember you? Remember you? This day, you sinful man who deserves the punishment of the cross, you, you, my beloved son, I wrap my arms around and I forgive all of your sins and I cleanse and wash you white as snow and you, when I resurrect from here and I enter into that kingdom, you're coming with me. Peter on the day of Pentecost, preaching, baptized of the Holy Spirit, and they think, they actually think he's drunk. He tells them it's 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh, we're, we're, we're not drunk. It's way too early for that anyway. We're, it's the first day of the week. We're trying to get to work. But the Holy Spirit has descended upon us. And he preaches and 3,000 people get saved. And they become disciples, which is learners and followers of Jesus. They lay down their lives at whatever the cost. And they experience such new life that there's no political figure, there's no civic establishment, there's no kind of configuration of life that can stop them. And we preach Jesus to this day. I believe some of you need to be bold. And get right with God. And so I'm going to pray and ask for whatever that burden is that is twisting and driving inside of you, that you would give it to Jesus Christ and be free. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for us as your people gathered together in your name that you would by a kindness, supernatural, sovereign grace, bring a visit to us, that we would be soaked and immersed in a love that is so not of this world, not of our making, not of our design, but as a genuine and true gift. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.